Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it's Monday night here on the East Coast. Hope everyone is doing well. Had a good weekend. Coming up today on the podcast is the start of a really fun uh, three-episode mini-series with some college coaches who are taking over new programs this this summer and the challenges that are that have come along with taking over a program in this pandemic getting the recruiting changing jobs during this crazy time dealing with the season last year uh hopefully you guys find it as interesting and fun as i do the first interview is with the new head women's basketball coach at union college katie marcella really fun conversation that we had earlier today talked about her whole career her bouncing around a lot of interesting stops along the way a lot of really interesting insights as well as she's getting ready for her first season in the liberty league just a really really fun conversation and uh hopefully you guys enjoy listening to it as much as i had fun recording it so i'll hit the music and when we come back it will be my interview from earlier today with katie marcella Joining me today on the Double Double is a special guest, the new head women's basketball coach at Union College, Katie Marcel. An upstate New York native, she played her college ball at SUNY Brockport, where she was a two-time All-SUNYAC member and helped the team uh, clinch the 2005 conference title. After graduation, she began her coaching career at Cuca College, a Division III school in upstate New York. After spending time as an assistant, she was named the interim head coach in December of 2011 and removed the interim tag the following year. In three seasons at CUCA, she helped lead the program to a 47-20 record and a trip to the 2012 NCAA tournament. She was then named the head women's basketball coach at Monmouth College in Illinois, where she stayed for one season before coming back east as the leader of the Hartwick College women's basketball program. At Hartwick, she helped lead the program to new heights, including a 23-5 record in 2018-2019, a trip to the NCAA tournament, and an Empire 8 Conference Coach of the Year award. In July of 2021, she was named the new head women's basketball coach at Union College, where she is preparing for the upcoming season. I'm thrilled she's taking the time to join me today. Coach, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well. H- hanging in there, you know, trying to just take it day by day. Absolutely. So I mentioned at the top, you're from upstate New York, but that's a really big place. So where exactly did you grow up and kind of how did you first start playing and falling in love with the game of basketball? Sure. Um, I actually grew up about uh, 10 minutes from Union College, actually. So born and raised in the Schenectady area. Um, So local to the Capital District here in upstate New York. Um, You know, I just got my passion from, from playing in college. You know, I went to school and did my undergrad in physical education and teacher cert. And I knew I wanted to kind of teach in some unique, different way. And probably by the time I got through my junior year of college, I realized that the physical classroom teaching wasn't what I was super passionate about. I loved it and I enjoyed the kids. But um, what I seemed to enjoy most was being on the court in whatever capacity that could be, whether it was helping out my coaches or working camps or things like that. But um, I enjoyed the teaching atmosphere from the coaching perspective. 
Interesting. Interesting. So when you were in high school and growing up, were, were you a multi-sport athlete? That's kind of a divide now that has happened is almost the, it's, you know, the specialization of sports of young athletes is kind of like the trendy thing now. It's like there's the pushback to go back to what it was 20, 30 years ago where people were playing every single sport possible. So were you a multi-sport athlete growing up or were you just basketball? You know, I actually, um, I was actually a much better runner than I was a basketball player. Okay. Um, I ran cross country in the fall. I played basketball in the winter and then I ran track, um, in the spring and I did anything from the long jump to the 400 hurdles to the relays and the 3000. So, um, I guess I was pretty versatile on the track side of things, um, Mm -hmm. with not just sticking to like running specific running events. Like I said, I did, I did the long jump. I went to the States for the 400 hurdles when I was in high school. So um, I did grow up playing like soccer, youth soccer and things like that, but I kind of found my passion and my niche for running. Um, I was pretty quick. Um, but yeah, my love for the game of basketball kind of overtook things when it came to the college perspective. But yeah, I agree with the fact that, you know, kids should be more involved in, in a range of sports rather than just, you know, one thing. Cause then you get the burnout effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was one of two there was, it was me and one other kid on my high school varsity basketball team who played a different sport besides basketball. It was crazy. So yeah, that's crazy. As you're going through your senior year of college, I remember – or the, the, your senior year of high school. Remember this. It's like the first decision that you're basically making for yourself, like major life decision is where you're going to apply and where you're eventually going to go to college. So why SUNY Brockport? What drew you to it? What was the application process like, like or the recruiting process? You know, Why did you choose to go to SUNY Brockport? Sure. Um, for me and for my family, it was, it was, I knew what I wanted to major in and that was physical education. Mm -hmm. And we kind of had decided that with, within that major, it made the most sense to kind of go to a state school. So Mm -hmm. for, for me, the decision was kind of narrowed down pretty drastically from then. And then at that point, it was either probably going to be Cortland or Brockport. Those were the two strongest physical education programs um, in the state system as, as well as basketball programs. So it kind of went from there. Um, at first I was looking at potentially running in college and Mm -hmm. maybe on a scholarship somewhere, but, um, I knew that if I went on a scholarship somewhere for running, I probably wasn't going to be able to play basketball. So that kind of took the wayside there. So I knew that if I went to a division three school, I could potentially run also if I wanted to. Um, so within the recruiting process, it was just setting up visits and things like that and communicating with coaches. Um, coach Yeoman was there at the time. Who's, who's now coach Mosier at Cortland. And then it was, it was, uh, coach Karen at Brockport when I, when I played there and, um, we just went to both and I did overnights at both. And I knew, I knew high school friends that went to both colleges. So I was Mm -hmm. able to kind of get comfortable in that manner and also visit with the team and do an overnight um, and actually I, I chose and I wanted to go to Cortland and I came home and I told my parents, I want to go to Cortland. And my dad actually sat me down and said, I don't want you to go to Cortland. And now for my parents, Cortland and Brockport, you know, Cortland is, is probably about an hour and a half, maybe two hours closer to my family than oh, wow. it would have been if I, if I went to, to SUNY Brockport and I, you know, I said, why, you know, why, why would you want to send me out to Rochester rather than send me to Cortland and and his answer was I felt more comfortable with the coach at the time and that's nothing to say against coach coach Mosier Mm -hmm. um but he he just felt as a parent 
that's where he felt most comfortable sending me. And I, you know, I never understood that until I flipped roles and put myself in the coaching shoes Right. that, you know, as a parent, you're leaving your, your daughter or your son or whatever the situation is. And, and you have to feel comfortable as a parent doing that. And, and with the coaching staff and things like that, because as a student athlete, the decision as to where you go to school is so much more in depth than a regular student. Yeah. Um, and so that's where I landed. I, I ended up going to Brockport and, um, you know, both programs were very successful, you know, previous to me going there, probably maybe Cortland a little bit more than Brockport, but you know, I was, uh, I had a, a great experience at Brockport. I wouldn't change it for the world. I, like you said, I was able to win a championship there. So it's not like, <laughs> it's not like I walked away from my college experience and, and didn't get to compete at that, that next level, which was really nice. And um, I think it really helped me gain perspective into the coaching world um, with all of that decision making. Because, right. you know, I use those examples with my recruits now and talking to my families that you've got to feel comfortable leaving your daughter with me and the coaching staff and, you know, the school itself. So um, it, it was definitely a learning lesson that I learned down the road how important it was. And it turned, you know, it worked out really well because not only did you, as you said, win a championship, but you got to study what you wanted to study and you were able to go through, you know, wanting to teach to, to thinking more of the coaching and, and, and on the court. But one thing that has been really interesting to, to read about as we're in the, the off season, right, of, of pretty much all the, the major sports of the coaching carousels are going on and you always hear about the the career path and so-and-so, how do they break into coaching, right? Because it's not as clear-cut as other professions where if you want to be a lawyer, you have to go to law school, right? You can break into coaching 25 different ways. So how did you right. kind of break into coaching or, or really just how does someone who wants to coach, like how do they just try to start coaching? Because someone has to have them coach, right? Sure. Yeah, I mean, honestly, a lot of it is is hopefully just getting an opportunity um, you know, after I graduated, uh, I moved back home and did my student teaching locally in the, in the capital district. Um, and then I knew, uh, I was going to start my master's and I went back to Brockport to do that in athletic administration. Mm -hmm. So I knew I was going back out to the area. Um, and initially it was going to be that I was just going to help out and volunteer right at Brockport. Um, but then there was a, there was a coaching change and some things and, they kind of wanted a clean slate, nothing, nothing bad or anything like that, but I totally understood it. So I just kind of branched out and reached out to all of the local Rochester colleges. And I wasn't even looking for a paid position. I was, you know, hopefully looking for a paid position, right. but, but knew that if I wanted to break in or to get an opportunity, I was going to have to do whatever it, I needed to do. And, um, actually Amy Reed over at RIT, I don't even know if she remembers this. It was her first year. I think she was just hired and, um, she came in and she brought a staff and I had reached out to her and she kind of told me, I, you know, I don't have a, a paid position for you, but if you want to volunteer, you're more than welcome to. And, and I was all set up to volunteer for, for RIT for, for oh, my wow. first coaching gig. And then luckily, Cuca College kind of posted a position. It was full-time. It was um, being the assistant women's basketball coach, but also being the head men's and women's cross-country coach. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how they were able to make it full-time. And I applied for that. And due to my background with running in high school, it kind of made me the perfect candidate for that position. 
Um, so that's how I kind of broke into it. Like I, 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 I got lucky in a sense for, for the Cupa position, but I was willing and understood that it was going to take whatever it took. And that was initially going to be just volunteering at RIT. So not only were you adjusting the academic level up, right, from college to grad school, but you're also now coaching instead of just playing. You're coaching young women in college who are not that much younger than yourself, right? Like the age gap is not that different. So what was that adjustment like to almost like you're coaching your peers? Like a year or two ago, those would be your peers at in college. How are you go about now that you're, you know, in charge, right? You're the leader, you're, you're the coach and not just a member of the team. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that, that was, I don't want to say it was a struggle, but it was definitely an adjustment. And I'm actually, I'm a November baby that started school early. So like there actually was, there was a girl that I coached at Cuca who was older than me, um, when I started out coaching. So, um, it was, it was definitely different, but I think a lot of it is just earning, the student athletes respect. I think it was almost helpful that I didn't go back to my alma mater and coach because mm-hmm. then I would have been coaching my friends and right. being in the same location that I went to college in, which I, you know, I fully feel like I could have made that separation and done that professionally, but I think it would have been a lot more difficult in finding that fine line of, of coach player balance and things like that. But, um, you know, doing it at Cuca, I think, um, again, it just came with respect and, and earning that respect of the players. And I think I was able to do that. And the fact that I was also able, I had the head coaching title for the cross country side of things. So mm-hmm. I think the kids on campus also saw me in a different light as well with, with having that head coaching role. But um, it definitely can be a challenge for people. I think just making sure as a young coach that you really separate yourself from that and you know, even when it comes to living, like, you know, if, if it's a small college town, try to live a little bit outside of town, not mm-hmm. in that downtown area. Not that you would necessarily be involved, but it separates yourself a little bit from things and you get the peace and quiet um, that you should want and you, you could want but with just living like a few miles right. outside of town or, you know, more in the residential areas. Yeah, exactly. And then also, you're, as, as you mentioned, you're coaching cross country track and field what are you taking away from from both sports you're coaching both sports at at the same time what are you learning from basketball that could help you with the track and field and then also what from track and field are are you applying to to basketball and just in terms of developing as a coach it's almost like a crash course fully in the fire you're not just on one team you're now on two teams yeah and and they did they do overlap the cross country and basketball basketball did overlap so it was definitely you know the the time management piece was huge Mm. you know because obviously my passion was more on the side of the basketball side of things but you're the head coach of this other program and you can't make those kids feel like they're second second best or second fiddle or you're they're not as important to you as the as the women's basketball program was and I think it was definitely just a more unique bond with them Mm-hmm. Because I got to, I you know, I was the assistant on the basketball side of things. So I was able to kind of translate some of the things that I was learning as being a head coach. And then how could I translate that to make myself a better assistant to, to Dave, who was, who was the head coach at the time. And, you know, going back and forth with those different types of things, 
Um, but I really like kind of cherish those moments with right. those, those four years that I was the head coach for that program. I had a lot of great memories with those kids and kind of building up that program a little bit and making it a little bit bigger with, with recruiting and things like that. And, um, you, you feel that sense of ownership. Like you never fully understand what it means to be a head coach until you're full, you're in that role, of right. course. Um, and I think I was lucky enough to kind of step in, even though it wasn't for a women's basketball program, it was for another program, but I was able to see and feel what it felt like to be a head coach and be in charge of a program, yeah. in whatever sport that was. So, and I think it really set me up for success to be a better assistant. So also when you're coaching cross country, it's, yes, it's the team competition and the team meet and you want to win the conference championship as a team, but also there's an individual component to cross country as well. That's really, really important, right? Kids want to have personal bests and winning certain races and setting their PRs and keep improving over the course of the season. How do you go from the coaching of the team aspect of so team folks in basketball to also balancing team and really legitimate individual concerns of your athletes on the cross country team? Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, running is very, uh, mental, just like any other sport, but like you said, it's very individualized, especially cross country. Um, you know, I think it's, it's just, it's just a little bit different. There's a lot of things where, you know, you'll walk a course and you'll talk through it as a team. Um, you know, this is where we want to, you know, peak, this is where you want to recognize that there's a hill or this or that. So it, it definitely is a lot different than when you're talking about, uh, a, a team, um, an invasion sport like basketball. Mm -hmm. So, but they too coincide with one another. Like I said, we'll walk a course for cross country and you have a game plan, yeah. right? That's no different than having a game plan for playing your opponent, you know, Cuba's playing Morrisville or whatever the situation, you know, Union's playing Ithaca. Like, what's our game plan? How are we going to execute that? So a lot of the things, like, you don't think about, but some there are plenty of things that kind of do coincide with one another, even though, like you mentioned, running is very individualized. Um, and you need everybody to do their best because, like, in cross country, it's your top five, right? Yeah. So, yes, I could run my best race, but if my teammates, you know, numbers two, three, four – and five don't run their best race either. Like you said, we're not going to win that meet or we're not going to be competing at a high level for that meet. So you're coaching, you have the head coaching experience on the cross country side. When did you sort of find out that you're going to be elevated to the interim head coach of the basketball program and, and take over that role in the adjustment, you know, going from a, from assistant coach to head coach of the CUCA basketball team? Sure. I think the, the nice part, again, for me was that um, Dave Sweet at the time was also the athletic director mm -hmm. as well as the women's basketball coach. So, you know, my duty as the assistant coach, I think, was a lot greater than probably most were because he had so much on his plate being the athletic director for the athletic department. Right. Um, but he actually ended up having a hip replacement oh my in the middle of the year. So I kind of knew that I was stepping into that role. <laughs> so um, and that's why I took over in December, like in the middle of the year. So, you know, the plan I had known at the beginning of the year was that I was stepping into this role. I had been there for four, four and a half years as the assistant. I think he and the, the college also felt like 
not that I had necessarily paid my dues, but that it was that they felt comfortable passing the torch to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of knew to, at the start of the year that in December, this was all going to get passed over to me. So I was preparing for that, but also in the years leading up to it, I think Dave did a really nice job of, of, of preparing me for that. And some of it was kind of throwing me into the fire because again, he was the athletic director. So I needed to step up and do some more things. And like I said, probably most assistants would needed, would have needed to do, but I think it all kind of set me up for, you know, hopefully the, the future success. And then leaving Cuca, you were very successful at Cuca during the the three years. Well, that the head coach won a lot of games. You leave to go to Monmouth College in a completely different part of the country. Sort of what went into <laughs> what went into that decision? Because up to this point, it's a lot of upstate New York. Yeah. So for me, it was. Um, I don't want to say I had paid my dues in, in at, at Cuca, but I had felt like being there for the time that I had been it was time to move on wherever that was and to get into a better conference, you know, Mm -hmm. nothing negative about the NEAC, but you know, the Midwest conference, the opportunity that arose for me was, um, was a better academic conference and it was a better athletic conference. So, you know, I think one thing that, that young coaches need to really be conscious of, and if you want to be in the coaching world, is that you cannot tie yourself down to a certain location. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that can be really difficult because that can take you across the country. And, you know, I, I talk to young coaches a lot now that are kind of pigeonholing themselves into certain areas, or I want to be in New England, or I want to be in the Midwest, or I want to be here, or I want to be there. Well, you got to want to be wherever the job is type thing. Um, and so for me, I, I was, you know, able and offered the opportunity to be the next head coach there. And I took it, I, mm-hmm. I flew out there and I, you know, I interviewed and it was, um, it was nerve wracking for sure because it was 17 hours from home. Yeah. But quite honestly, a great, great conference, great institution. Um, would have definitely stayed there if it was a little bit closer to home. Now, if I didn't get the Hartwick job, I very well could still have been out there because I wouldn't have left it without another opportunity, of course. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I jumped in and, you know, everyone's like, Oh, well, you're in Illinois. You must've been (laughs) close to Chicago. And it was like, no, I was still three and a half hours from Chicago so actually never went to Chicago while I was out there, fun, <laughs> you know, fun fact. And to go to the mall was actually closer to go to go to Davenport, Iowa than it was to stay in Illinois. So yeah. um, it was definitely a culture shock a little bit, but it was a great experience with a with a great college, with great the, the Midwest has phenomenal facilities mm-hmm. out there. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't change that experience. Yeah, it's very similar, I'm sure, to when you say that you're from New York. It's like, oh, you must go to Manhattan and go to Broadway shows all yeah. the time. It's like, no, Rochester's pretty far from <laughs> Times Square. Yeah, absolutely. So you, one year at Monmouth, come back east to Hartwick College. And re- when you researched I read that you would ask to describe Hartwick in one word. You said potential. What does that mean and sort of what did you see in, in Hartwick? Yeah. So, you know, before I had arrived to Hartwick, um, the previous season, they weren't, they weren't super successful, but when, uh, when coach West was, was coaching that program, she kind of, she put that, that program on the map. 
Um, and she had, I think, I don't know, two or three at least 20 win seasons um, mm-hmm. bef- before I had gotten there. And so, you know, I had seen what the men's program did, what, what Todd McGinnis was doing on the men's side too. And he was winning championships on the men's side. And, you know, Coach West, Missy, was was really close to winning championships and, and getting at-large bids into the NCAAs. So I knew that you could be successful there, like not just be successful like the student-athletes academically, which, yes, is, is most important, but I saw that you could have success and you could win championships in the Empire at Hartwick College. Um, you know, I came in and I was the third coach in, in three years, like the seniors that were there, I was their third coach, the juniors, they had a new coach every single year. So Mm -hmm. I knew it was going to be a process that they had to buy in, but most importantly, they had to trust me and trust the process because before that, all they had kind of seen was some changeover. So it took a little bit of time, but, um, they bought what I was selling and that was by far the most important thing. My first year at Hartwick was a struggle. You know, mm-hmm. we, we kick off every year at Hartwick with Union. <laughs> fun, fun yeah. actually. But um, I remember my first year at Hartwick, um, you know, the 2015-16 season, and uh, we played Union at Union, which, again, is, is 10 minutes from where I grew up. So I'm just back home, you know, back east from working out in Illinois for a year. And my whole family is there, obviously, supporting me and things like that. And, and we lost. I don't even remember what the score was <laughs> on Union side, but I know that we scored 28 points. And I was like, oh, my goodness, this is going to be a long road. But um, but it was fun. And, and you know, so it was it was a great experience. And, and that's where I saw that potential, mm-hmm. not from that 28 point game. But right. I, I saw I saw what was around me. And that you could recruit the right student athletes into the into the school, into the program, and you could win because there were other programs doing it around us. And then you you mentioned it was a process. You knew it was going to be a process with all the turnover and obviously scoring twenty eight points. But not only was it a, that process. Correct me if I'm wrong, but while you're at at Hartwick, the women's college game underwent some radical fundamental shifts. In that it went from two halves to four quarters eliminating the one-on-one, you know, all these major rule changes. So kind of what was it like to now, you're at your third head coach position, now all the rules are, are different. Kind of how was that adjustment like to all the rule changes go, going on? So you have all this institutional knowledge of when you were playing and then when you were beginning your coaching career. Yeah, I mean, a lot has changed since I played. The three-point yeah. line has moved back now twice. And, <laughs> and yeah, like you said, it, it's quarters instead of halves and the one-and-ones. You know, the interesting part about it is it's more of a mind game, obviously, from the coaching side than it is for the student-athletes. Like, the student-athletes are, to me, are not phased by any of these rule changes. Yes. Maybe the three-point line. Um, but you know, the student athletes are not phased at all by these rule changes, whether it's the arc, the lower defensive box on the women's side, the quarters from halves, the one and ones to not. So I think that makes it a little bit easier in a sense that the kids aren't caught up in, in the hustle and bustle of all the changes. Right. And uh, you know, a lot of times too, if it's whatever class is coming in that year, the, the high schools are playing those rules anyway. Right, so right. they're, they're kind of used to it. Or 
I just played those rules two years ago, coach. So it's really not that big of a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would say the biggest one and in, in the most strategic to me in my brain is, is the ball advancement, yep. you know, and, or utilizing fouls at the end of quarters, um, yeah. and things like that. Like you have, you have a foul to give, um, those types of situations, uh, are really helpful. You have, not an extra timeout because they revamped the timeouts, but you've got the timeouts. Technically, they're timeouts, right, in between yeah. quarters. So, um, you know, I, I would say it's definitely it was definitely strategic and things that you need to think about, and you've got to kind of have more, not more end-of-the-game situation plays, but you have to have more half-court ones because yep. of the ball advancement, where when it was, you know, the men's rules, like it still is now, like, if you foul or you're at the other, you know, 90 feet at the other end of the floor, you've got to have those full court plays Yeah. where if you've got some timeouts, I can advance the ball and I don't have to worry about, you know, going 90 feet in, in four seconds. <laughs> yeah. We, we spent a lot of time in practice trying to figure out who can make the throw. Where does the throw have to yeah. go? Like landing and staying balanced. So you can call a timeout to when you're at half court it was a lot of practice time on on the baseball pass, which we then never had to use because, you know, just in my four years, we were never really in that situation. But not just was it a process at Harwick dealing with all these different things. The first four years were sort of a roller coaster in terms of win-loss records, two on the court. Eight wins year one, 17 year two, eight again year three, and then 23 in year four. Sort of what what led to so those those drastic shifts in the team's sure. record from year to year. Sure. You know, the first year was, was just, you know, first year coach coming in, trying to make those adjustments. The mm-hmm. second year, the 17 wins, um, you know, you know, the, the old saying that everyone says, you know, wins go to the players, losses go to the coaches. I would a hundred percent agree with that statement, especially in that year that the wins went to the players, those seniors in that class, you know, Emily Stone, Jackie Foreman, those, those girls there, they really bought into it, like I said before, bought into what I was selling. And um, they got, you know, a taste of, of winning at the beginning of the year a little bit. And um, they rode with it, which was really nice. And we, we went all the way to the, um, you know, semifinals where we got bumped up with, with Ithaca. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the following year after that, I recruited – the heck out of the program. I brought nine kids in to oh, that wow. next season that, that was kind of a dumpster fire to say <laughs> the least. Um, but you know what? And, and I'm very honest about this process. We went through um, a little bit of culture, not culture, but a little bit of turmoil a little bit. Like I, I'm very, like I said, I'm very honest. I'm very honest with the recruits and the recruits that I recruited after that season, I was very open and honest about. I had kicked four girls off of that incoming nine class off of the team wow. almost before the season had even started. And all four of them were gone by the end of the season or by the first, the first weekend. And a lot of those things were just not some, some students not acting appropriately and representing the program um, properly. Mm-hmm. And it put, it didn't, it, it put a riff, it put a lot of emotional turmoil on the team a little bit which made it hard to get into a routine because it felt like every time we settled down there was another situation whether it was a social media situation 
or whatever the case is. So, you know, we started to preach and talk about, um, you know, social media and the impact of it. And we had a social media policy. And then in the recruiting process, um, I talked to our incoming freshmen about that. So, you know, if you were to look at the roster right now, Maggie, Molly Kirby, Juliana Pritchard, Kaylee Erickson, all of those girls were in that next class mm-hmm. where I told their families, this is what we just went through. I will not ever do this again. And mm-hmm. this will, ne- you know, this is not who we are. And I'm going to recruit people that want to represent themselves properly, number one, but in turn, that is a representation of, of Hartwick College as well as Katie Marcella. So, you know, this is what we're going to do, and, and I don't care how talented you are. If you don't want to buy into that process, we're not going. You, you're not. There's no room for you here. Right. And so, you know, that up and down was kind of for that reason. And then, you know, I sold this and I sold that culture to that program, and then they came out and killed it because yeah. then we were, won the first ever Empire championship for for Hartwick College on the women's basketball side so and we were able to do it on our own home floor so um you know I attribute a lot of that to a hundred percent of that to the girls and buying into what what I was telling them in the recruiting process and the upperclassmen that we're not going to do this again and this is Mm. not who we are um and and they they did a hundred percent and we did it without those those that were not um, doing what they needed to do academically and or just representing themselves properly on and off the court. So after a season where it felt like everything was going wrong, and as you said, once it was settled and, and going wrong, the next year, everything for the most part is going right. Were there, one, just signs or checkpoints you saw that, hey, we could do something special? And then also in the back of your head where, were you almost like the cursed Cubs fan or Red Sox fan waiting for the bad thing to happen to bring it all down? Yeah, I mean, I think as as a coach a little bit, you're waiting you're you're waiting for it to tumble again. But I think we had we had finally gotten the kids in there and and I had earned the respect of them too that these weren't just words that I was kind of giving to them. Like mm-hmm. we were actually I they were actually seeing results, right? right? So I'm not just feeding you a bunch of lines that hopefully work. Like I'm feeding you these lines and I know they work because they just did. So, uh, you know, again, it was the buy into what I was selling type thing, but at this point they don't need to buy it because they've already bought it and they've already had that success. So, you know, I think I had a a really talented group of kids at Hartwick and Mm -hmm. a lot of them are still there which is great. And I think it's only helped the recruiting process because they could see, all right, this is what this program did. This is where coach was able to get them. Um, I want to be a part of that. Um, And it helped bring in, you know, better student athletes for, for that program. You know, I, um, you know, I, I love the girls at Hartwick and that's obviously the hardest part about getting a new job. Um, but, you know, I, I think that they're set up pretty nicely there, and I'm not patting myself on the back, but I think the girls have done the work, and um, I attribute a lot of that to them as to who's there and why they're there because it, the girls sell the program phenomenally when it comes to the recruiting side of things. So, And, um, and, and you mentioned they're there. They want to play college basketball, but also compete at a really high level. And you guys had, had the chance, and you guys ended up winning the Empire 8 championship. And it's this cliche in sports, right, to say treat every game the same, right? 
don't put one game over another, treat it differently. We're human, first of all, and fundamentally, you know, just some games mean more than others, right? There's more at stake, imminent ramifications like, hey, if we don't win this, our season's over, or hey, if if we win this, we're going to win the championship. As a player, I know it's like to prep for a playoff game. I'm sure you do too from your time at Brockport. But as a coach, in the lead up to the Empire 8 championship game and then the NCAA first round, how are you prepping for the game and trying to keep it the same while also knowing that it's not the same? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, our semifinal game was actually against Stevens and, mm. and Coach Howie at your uh, Meg at uh, at Stevens, who who is she's an awesome coach. And she, um, in the past year, she has gotten into our girls' heads a little bit. I don't, I don't know <laughs> if you've been able to see Meg coach at all yet while Not yet. I'm at Stevens. Um, but she has, like, she has note cards that she carries. And she knows, you know, everybody knows everybody's plays, right? right? But it's another thing when you're the opposing coach is calling, I'm calling the player, our point guard's calling the play, and then Meg's calling the play and then telling her players exactly what's coming. <laughs> Wait for the back screen, the handoff, this or that. And, and you, you don't realize it, but like as a coach, it doesn't affect me. It, it's, it's like fun in a yeah. sense, but the girls are like, they're so caught off guard by <laughs> it. And they're like, coach, she knows everything we're doing. And I'm like, Ladies, we know what they're doing too. We're just not calling it out. Like yeah. it's just a mental thing. Um, but you know, and again, Meg is a great, great coach. And um, you know, we kind of prepared. We had heard potentially, or she had played another game earlier in the year, like a triangle and two potentially, or a box mm-hmm. and one. So you know, leading up to that, like you said, you don't want to change too much of what you're doing because there's a reason why you got to where you got. And it was because of yes, you know, creating different game plans for your opponents, but also executing your stuff and executing your stuff really well. And so we just kind of prepared, um, a little bit differently for that semifinal game. And we were prepared for a box and one or a triangle and two. And, And that's what Meg came out and did. She ran a triangle and two, against my two uh, seniors, um, Carly Johnson and Kate Corbett at the time. And all we did was run a five out because luckily we had the ability to pull our our five. She actually had our nicest three-point shot. <laughs> and we just ran a five out. And, yeah. and that, was the, that was the difference. But the, the difference was only one person because yeah. we really ran a four out, one in offense anyway. So we didn't have to tweak it too much in that semifinal game. And then um, – you know, in the finals, I think it was just the high that then we reverted back to, okay, this is who we are. This is what we're running. And this is how we're going to defend them. Um, when we played St. John Fisher in the championship game. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was more true to us a hundred percent than it was maybe in the semifinal game. But, um, yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing from a coaching perspective is, is kind of, you hiding your nerves to the girls. Yeah. <laughs> um, because the nerves are there a hundred percent. You know, the first game that I coached officially in the NCAA is when I was at Cuca, I broke out in hives and I had no idea why I thought it was my shirt. Uh-huh. I didn't know if it was laundry detergent. As soon as the ball tipped, and I swear like this is something that you, you don't really believe until it happens. And I'm not one of those people either. 
as soon as the ball tipped, my itchiness and all of it went away. Yeah. It was like, it was wild. But, you know, I knew at that time, my girls knew, like, I had broke out and hives. I talked about it, which I shouldn't have done in front of yeah. my team. So, you know, kind of learning some of those things that, like, it's easier said than done when you look at your team and you're like, it's just another game and you know, it's not. Yeah. But I think on the coaching side of things, you've got to, you've got to do that a little bit. And then, you know, the NCAA game is a whole nother beast, right? Because like now the girls are treated different, Like we're going, you know, a night or two before you Mm -hmm. can only get on the court for X amount of time and you're escorted out on the floor and, you know, you can't, you can't maybe use music or you can't do this and you're on a clock and you got to leave and then you got to leave the court at this time and you can only spend a certain amount of time going here and going there. So it's definitely different for sure. And again, I think as a, from the coaching perspective, you can't, I don't want to say buy into that because that's the fun and the experience of it all, Yeah. but you kind of just have to like go with the flow and hopefully the girls don't see it as a different um, as a different setting, even though it, it absolutely is, you know, there's press conferences, right. It's like, we don't, we don't have press conferences normally. No. Exactly. <laughs> there's that cool down period after an NCAA game. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it's, it's exactly what you said. As long as, as a player, you don't want to tell other th- the players that, Hey, I'm a little nervous that this is like the championship game. And for the coaches, it's the same thing. The best I ever heard was like, pre- was preparing for the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is fundamentally different because halftime is like an hour and a half for however long the concert goes. It's fundamentally different than any other playoff game or football game those guys have ever played in. But sure. it's they have to, quote unquote, treat it the same so that they don't try to do everything you know different and need an IV at halftime. But right. So the following year, you make it to the NCAA tournament, following year, 14-win campaign, season ends at the end of February, the last weekend. Two weeks later, the world changes. Colleges send every student home due to the pandemic. Now, instead of uh, preparing and helping your team have a strong finish finish academically and beginning the off-season workouts together, confronted with these real-life obstacles of varying degrees, right? So the, my first question sort of is, when did you first hear about the coronavirus? And then when did you learn Hartwick was shutting down their campus operations? Wow. Um you know, I think it was, we obviously got to finish our year, which we, you know, we were fortunate to, to be able to do. Um, I think it was when I first started hearing about it was probably maybe the last week of our season. I think mm-hmm. we really started to hear about it more. And we were out at um, St. John Fisher for the semifinals and things like that. Um, but, you know, I think just like everyone else, no one thought you know, it's not coming over here, it's not going to be that big of a deal, or this or that, and then I think it was, well, I think the official day that we got the email that we were shut down was like March 11th, Yeah. I think it was somewhere around March 5th that we were all like, wow, this thing is, is real, and we have no idea what's coming next, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I believe it was March 11th. Um, which seems to be the day for most people, either March 11th or March 12th, that mm-hmm. kind of the world shut down. Yep. Um, and yeah, we got the email. Um, and that's how we were kind of informed because I think it was everything was so abrupt that, 
you weren't having individual meetings with your boss at the time to be like, okay, this is the announcement that's going out. It's just like, this is how fast everything is rolling out. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we we found out that they were actually, um, because Hartwick has a a little bit of a unique spring break. It's a little bit later than most people's. So our our kids were actually on spring break, Mm -hmm. and they were told, like, you're not coming back. Yep. So, you know, I remember sitting in the office and there was no kids on campus to begin with, which was also maybe maybe a little bit of a blessing, but at the same time, not really, because you knew that your kids were on spring break and some of my kids were in Florida, yep. some of them were in Myrtle Beach or this or that or wherever they were. And you were like, oh my goodness, like, this is wild. And, and I don't think anyone thought that they weren't coming back for the rest of the year. I think we all kind of thought it was going to be like a week or two, like yeah. a week or two and they're just going to be home. And then it just kept getting extended. And, you know, finally, like you're not coming back at all. Like, yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, we were on spring break as well. It was, it was the same thing with the last couple of weeks of school. You're watching the dominoes fall. Wait, all the study abroad kids are coming home who are in Europe. That's, that's right. <laughs> okay. Well, that's because Italy is really bad. You know, we're thinking it's like, Oh, America, like, we could stop them not realizing that like, huh, maybe New York city will transmit the virus just as well or better than Southern Rome, um, and Southern, right. uh, Italy. But yep. It was as you're watching the dominoes fall and you're watching all the other schools in your conference, send out the emails. It's almost, you're just waiting for the email to come, right? You're just right. waiting for it and you don't really know what's going to happen. And we thought it was going to be two weeks. We thought we'd be back, and then all of a sudden, it's the whole spring, the whole summer, recruiting canceled, you know, in-person visits not allowed, the fall, you know, fun, you know, crazy change in the fall, online classes, hybrid classes, de-densified campuses, and college had to make really, really, really tough decisions about everything because they were offering completely different university experience, right? It wasn't Hartwick College circa 2019. It was a new Hartwick college was the 2020 school year. And one of those really tough decisions was what to do about sports. And at the time when they had to make these decisions in order to protect the immediate campus community, canceling sports seasons and particularly indoor sports seasons was a part of those really, really tough decisions that college felt like that they had to make. And when did you sort of learn or get the feeling that, Hey, we may not be competing this, this year and kind of, how did you tell the team? Yeah, you know, I think, um, and, and kind of not going, not uh, comparing these two things, but I think that the kids, with it happening in March and getting through the summer and things like that, that it's unfortunate to say, but I think that the students kind of accepted that this was life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was difficult, and I think, you know, a lot of mental health issues and things like that, you know, came up and, and how to deal and handle with all these things. But at the same time, I kind of felt like my kids, as much as they were upset about it, kind of understood why we weren't doing some of the things that we were doing. Right. Um, so, you know, I attribute a lot of a lot of it to, to the girls and kind of being able to wrap their head around it because I don't know if I would have been able to do that as well as, as they did if I was a student athlete back in the day because, you know, I missed four games in my career because I tore my ACL. I can't imagine missing a whole season. I was right. devastated by that. By that. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think that I think that we got to about the middle of the fall 
Um, we were doing like pod work where they were in groups of 10 having to be six feet apart. You know, we started outside workouts initially for the first two weeks before we could move inside. And then it was only using one ball like per yourself where you couldn't share and things like that. And I think we got to about the middle of the fall and as much as we were told that there's this hope and then the college put in some expectations if you wanted to get through the season and get to playing I think they kind of saw the writing on the wall that this is going to be a really difficult and tough task that we're going to do what we can to hopefully get there Um, but we kind of realized that the chances of it happening are slim Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the difficult side on the Empire 8 thing was that the Empire 8 played where um you know, not every school played in it, but yeah. you had you had the ability to play. And the the different rules for different institutions, I think that was probably the toughest thing for my kids because right. you know, St. John Fisher and Nazareth wouldn't have the same rules as one another and you know, Utica and Hartwick don't have the same institutional rules. So I, I truly feel like the toughest part of all of that and not playing was the lack of consistency across the board, which I'm not saying one school is right and one school is wrong by any means. Um, but I think that was the hard thing, being able to see that there was a championship still played. Yeah. Um, and again, not every school played in it, and some ended up having to bow out, which maybe we would have had to be one of those schools as well. But mm-hmm. um I think that was probably the most difficult side of things. Yeah, and it was a great example of the NCAA punted it to the conferences, yep. and the conference and the conferences punted it to the schools, and then yep. the schools just had to make really, really tough decisions based on what they thought was best. Because the truth was, when these decisions are being made in September, October, you're making incom- you're, you're making decisions based on incomplete data and what's going on right now and what people think will happen because you don't know what's going to happen and it's all and it was just really tough decisions the whole way as you said really challenging year you're doing pod work mass indoor outside shut down not shut down remote classes it's not a typical college experience but there was still some fun and excitement in there just you get to compete as a team in practice still work out and then also you had some exciting news for the team as well you were announced that you were going to that you were pregnant that you're going to have your first child which is just an ex, an amazing exciting life moment for you but with your team it's almost your extended family right you adopt your your teams as your family how did you tell your team that there was going to be another member coming in a few months <laughs> Yeah, so I actually, um, I, I officially, my wife and I officially found out that I was pregnant, I think it was the day before, the day after my birthday, so that was exciting. So it was like November 13th um, that we found out. So, you know, we waited the, the, the time before we told everybody and before I told the team, and I actually... You know, this was at the time that we were we were a lot we couldn't have in person meetings, so mm-hmm. we were still doing Zoom meetings. So um, I set up a team meeting with the girls, and um, you know, we had the sonogram for them, and and we brought it up, and they you know they had no idea what the meeting was about. They actually right. thought that they were in, they thought they were in trouble. Or something. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's all good news, and we had some things that we had to talk about as a team. But then you know, I popped up the sonogram and. 
that's kind of how how we told them and um it was really exciting and the girls like you said they're they are they're an extended family yeah um i don't you know i don't see them as my my kids by any means but i see them as you know huge parts of of my life and my family's life um so that was really fun um for sure and then you know once we found out the gender um before we found out the gender we took a poll from the girls i took a poll and you know, who thought it was a boy and who thought it was a girl. And then, um, and then whoever got it right, actually, I was like, all right, your, your, uh, your reward for getting it right is once we come back and we start practicing in, in January was, you know, if we have to do some type of conditioning at some point, if you want to look at me and say, coach, I don't want to do this, that's your reward. <laughs> if you got it right. So, so we kind of made it, you know, of course, like a competition as to, um, you know, finding out the gender as well, because, you know, if you're not making it a competition, it's not fun. Exactly. (laughs) And so another major life change as you're pregnant in a pandemic, you're going through another job application process. Uh, Mary Ellen Burt, longtime women's basketball coach at Union College, stepping down, retiring. And in early July, you were named the new head women's basketball coach. What drew you to Union College and just what was it like going through the hiring process on Zoom while pregnant? Yeah, that, that's, a really, that's a really good question. So, you know, the, the nice part about Zoom was that um, I could hide that I was eight months pregnant, right. eight and a half months pregnant <laughs> um, initially. And I was kind of crossing my fingers that maybe, maybe the whole interview process was going to be on, on Zoom. Um, which it wasn't, but that was okay. You know, for me, it was it was kind of a no-brainer to apply. So my wife and I had just built a house in the Schenectady area. Um, she works in the Clifton Park area, so I was commuting to, to Oneonta, which, which I fully was, you know, embracing and doing and, and we wanted to do as a family. Um, but the union job opened, and, and like I had mentioned before, you know, I, this to me wasn't a job of convenience. This was it was great opportunity for our family, but on top of that, it was a better conference being able to coach in the Liberty league. And it's a better academic conference as well as athletic conference than the Mm -hmm. empire is. So to me, it was a no brainer. Did I think I had any shot at the job? Um, No, I didn't, you know, I thought it was kind of a formality with the assistant that was there at the time. And then on top of it, I knew I was eight, eight and a half months pregnant that, you know, legally, no one could say anything to me. But at the same time, I was like, no one is going to look at me and be like, she's going to, she's not, she could be the right fit, but she's not going to be able to get started for until September. Um, but you know what? Union was, was phenomenal. I, you know, I went through the Zoom for, you know, because nobody was doing phone interviews anymore. Now no, it was yeah. Zoom interviews. So, you know, I talked to some people and I, and I talked to some um, people about techniques and things like that for, for Zooms and interviews. And I, um, and it was really helpful. And I think my ties to the area were, were really helpful. And then when I got asked to be on campus, you know, I had spoken to um, Kim Fierke, who used to be my athletic director at, at Hartwick. Um, before John and I had called her as as you know as an administrator and as a female and I said you know what's your suggestion on on this should I I don't I don't want to get out of the car and 
they see visually like, oh my goodness, she's eight, she's she's pregnant. Yeah. And you know, I don't want to blindside them with that, so I asked, you know, for her professional opinion on that, and you know, female to female as to what I should do and how I should approach it. And you know, honesty was was just the best policy in that. That you know, when I got offered the on campus interview, I told them. Um, I think the next day I accepted the interview first and then I gave it a little time and I, I had talked to, to Beth over at Union and I said, you know, I want to be very honest with you that this is my situation and, and I hope that, um, you know, again, legally they couldn't say they wouldn't move forward, but, right. <laughs> um, you know, I just ensured them that I'm going to do and if I were to be named the next head coach that I'm going to work my tail off and yes, I'm going to put my family and my daughter first, but, um, that I can still be the the right person for this position, no matter what the situation is that's, that's going on. So, um, I was really fortunate and lucky. And, and like I said, the, the, um, Jim McLaughlin and, and Beth Tiffany over at union and, and all the administrators, um, and everyone I met was just phenomenal there and so welcoming and so embracing of, of, of everything that was going on that, you know, I got offered the job, and and here I am. And so, you know, we know you're doing the late night film sessions on Synergy, catching up the crash course in the the Liberty. But for the fans of the Dutch women basketball, you've played fast before. You've mentioned how you're how you want to play a fast style of play. But for 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 the basketball layman out there, what does it actually mean to to play fast? Is it, you know a track meet type thing or is it just like 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 what does playing fast actually mean because basketball is a fast game to begin with sure yeah i think on on the women's side of things too um picking up the pace makes it a little bit more fun to watch as a spectator too because you know everyone knows there's no hiding it the women's game is can't be played we're not playing the game above the rim which which you know on the men's side does make it much more exciting at times but I think the the speeding up the game um in what my terms what I mean is not necessarily a track meet but also like I don't want if we can and again it's going to be learning the girls and learning the team at at Union is you know I don't want to be sucked into and stuck into okay we have a point guard and only the point guard can bring the ball up the floor. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to get a rebound and outlet it to one of our guards, whoever that may be on the floor, and we're going to get it and go. Um, I want to be able to play 9, 10, 11 people. So we can press, you know, not 40 minutes a game or anything like that, but we can speed up the defensive side of the ball to get those offensive looks as well. So in a sense, I don't want to say track meet by any means, but I just want it to be that, um, it kind of flows within itself. It's mm-hmm. a little bit more, not freelance, but it has a system. But but again, you're not just specifically, we have to outlet it to this point guard and we're going to come down and we're going to run a set play every single time, every single possession. I think with what I know of the team and what um, Coach Burt and Jared have recruited into Union that we're going to be able to, to be pretty versatile, I think, which is which is really nice. Um, that we don't have to be sucked into, okay, this is our point guard, this is our shooting guard, this is our, you know, power forward, this is our forward type situation. We're going to be able to get it and go um, and, and kind of have some fun with it. And, you know, what's interesting too is, you know, you want to, you're mentioning you want to play fast. Well, the coaching counter to that is, well, we're going to play slow. 
The other team's going to play slow. Like, if you want to play fast, we're going to try to control the pace. The, the pace battle is one of the most interesting tactical uh, things to watch as a basketball fan. As a coach, how do you try to keep your team playing fast when the other team may be deliberately trying to slow the game down? Yeah, sure. I think that's really just focusing on who you are, right? So, like, um, and, and maybe the combative part of that is, is you know, we, we've even said on, on the opposite side of things, right, when someone tries to speed you up, you know, same, same thing is, you know, you call a timeout and you look at your team and you're saying you're falling into their game plan, yeah. right? They're, you're making, they're making you play hectic or they're making you play slow. Don't do it, right? Like, just keep playing our game and getting into that mentality of, no matter what the other team wants to try to do, you you still need to execute your stuff as well. Um, so, you know, I would say that, that that's where the defensive side of things would come in, where maybe we pick them up a little bit more aggressively so that they can't slow it down as much, right? You've got, yeah. you, put, you pick them up a little bit over half, so they've got to start getting that 10-second call over half to get over half and start their offense. So, um so that's where I would say that that that's where that would come in a little bit. And, and with the depth that will help, you know, I think one of the things that we didn't have at Hardwick, which we would have had, I think last year was the depth to be able to press and do some of those different things. I think with the number um, of kids on the roster at union and some of the talent that I think that there is, we're going to be able to have that depth. So if another school wants to slow us down, you're not really going to be able to, because we're just going to keep running bodies at you. Interesting. And then, so the last question before we get to some fun ones is, how do you watch basketball nowadays? Can you sit down and watch the Olympic teams as a fan and be amazed by just what those incredible players can do? Or are you rewinding the baseline out-of-bounds plays that the teams are running because on October 15th, you like you want to try that, like you have to try that? <laughs> Yeah, I definitely think there's uh, there's times where I'm watching games and, you know, instead of just being a spectator, you know, my, my wife will be like, can you just watch the game and, and be quiet and not <laughs> overanalyze it? And it's like, well, that's what I do for a living. Yeah. Um, and sometimes because of that, we don't watch as much basketball as maybe we should sometimes. But um, I would say that. Yeah, there, there has been times that, that we've watched a game or something and I've been like, oh, that play is, that play is fun or, or that was nice or look at that back screen. Um, but yeah, so it, it's, definitely, it, it's definitely super fun to watch at that higher level. And then sometimes there has been times where I've pulled a play off of here or there. You know, Synergy is, was really nice for, you know, you could go on and I could go watch UConn's offense. And yeah. then like, all right, I'm going to go on Synergy and watch it, and then let's see what we can do here at, at Hartwick or Union and see if they can execute it. And then you're like, well, we're not executing it the same way. It's <laughs> like, well, we don't have, you know, Olivia Nelson Adota to to be able to have that pick and roll and throw it, you know, six and a half feet in the air for her to catch it high and, and roll yeah. to the hoop. But, um, but yeah, it's it's definitely fun. I I like to watch. Um, I like to watch the speed of the men's game for sure and, and be able to do some of those things. But I think on the women's side, I think the fun part is it typically is so much more fundamental than the men's game because we have to be, because mm -hmm. we can't play above the rim and do some of those things. So 
Um, the women's side, I think, is 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 fun because you, you there's so much more at times. I think in the X's and O's um, than there is on the men's side. Coach, we're gonna wrap up here now with five rapid fire questions. Number one, pregame superstitions, if any. Ooh, <laughs> pregame superstitions. I'm really superstitious about my gum. Okay. Um, that I chew and when I chew it and when I put a new piece in, um, and what type of gum it's trident spearmint. It, it's okay. actually kind of funny. The girls <laughs> make fun of it for sure. The union girls don't know about it yet, but they'll um, find gum, out. Gum would probably be it. Do you have a favorite drill, uh, for practice? Um, I do. It's called, I call it plus one transition. Um, it's a transition drill where you start two on one and then it just increases all the way either, depending on how you want to run it, you could be five on four, you could finish it five on five. What is the most memorable game from your college, uh, playing career? My college playing career, uh, definitely the, um, definitely my, uh, actually, you know what? There's there's two. I hate to say this. <laughs> One would probably be the 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 game that we won, um, winning the SUNYAC championship um, against uh, Cortland, um, or was it Oswego? I hate to. I think you know that's awful too. And just remember the win. <laughs> um, I just I just remember hitting a three at one point towards the end of the game in the uh, in Utica because this was at the time that that the. Uh, the, the championship games were not played at the higher seed. They were played at a, um, a neutral location. Right. And, and I just remember at that point that I knew that we had secured it. And then the other one would be the chase tournament that used to happen. Um, it used to be called the Wendy's. I don't even know if they run it anymore in Rochester. And um, we were playing U of R. We ended up losing the game, but we came down from like 25, 30 points oh, wow. being down. And, and we made it a game, which was fun. Do you have any coaching mentors or idols? Coaching mentors or idols. Um, you know what? I, I, yes and no. I would say that my college coach um, would definitely be probably the closest one that, I, that I've had. Um, she really just, she's a great X and O's coach, and I learned a lot from her in that sense. Interesting. If you could change one rule about college basketball, what would you change? Ooh, wow. Um, the lower defensive box. Get rid of it. Nobody knows what it is on the women's game. You've probably <laughs> never even heard of it. I've seen it because it's like it's drawn on on the court, right? So yeah, but nobody knows. Um, I've tried to explain it to my team every year. Um, you know, I've never heard the call called once, and I think it's been a rule now for probably close to you know seven, eight years. I've never seen it called one time i think once and everyone everyone in the stands and everyone on the court was like what <laughs> so get get rid of the lower defensive box okay coach really really appreciate all the time this morning as always on the double double we give the last word to our guests you want to say or shout out to the union college community in schenectady new york yeah just that i i'm super excited to be the next head coach at, at union and, and to see where we can bring this program um, they already have a great culture and great academics there. So for me, it's just kind of um, building up that program and hopefully getting into those Liberty League tournaments and championships. And I'm super excited to be working back home on my home turf and um, and ready for, for this to get started and can't wait for October 15th. 
Awesome. Coach, thanks so much for the time and best of luck this season and for the Dutch women basketball program. Thank you very much. That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. Also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back on Friday. Take care and make it a great day.